when people think of education, I think they often picture content knowledge. You know, like skills, like reading, writing, and arithmetic. Or job readiness things like coding or nursing. But we're noticing a growing interest in kind of much bigger questions about education. Mainly, how can educational systems, whether schools or colleges or job training programs, give people the soft skills needed to make it in today's complex world? Okay, for instance, the most popular course at Yale University right now is one called The Science of Well-Being, Psychology and the Good Life. Here's how the professor, Lori Santos, explains it in a teaser video for the course. The hope is that this isn't going to be like an ordinary like kind of class or lecture series for you. This is the kind of thing that we really hope can actually change your life in a real way, not just by teaching you new content and new information, but by really changing your habits. That's sort of the goal. That really is kind of surprising when you think about it. I mean, here's one of the most elite educational institutions in the world. And the things students are most curious about is, is happiness and how to live happily. It's actually the most popular class ever taught at Yale. And this is definitely a nationwide phenomena. An online version of that Yale class that they put online for free has also become a blockbuster. And we're seeing the same kind of interest among EdSurge readers and, and listeners to this podcast. Just the other day, we, we published a list of the 10 most popular episodes of the year. Um, and it, it's easy to see that this hunger for teaching the whole student One of those top episodes on our list explored how to teach news literacy in the age of disinformation. Another looked at how to teach citizenship. And the most popular episode of the year for us was an explainer on social-emotional learning, an interview with a, a different Yale professor about emotional intelligence. Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast, a weekly look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young. This is a special year-end episode, and we're actually releasing this on Christmas Eve day. Um, We come out every Tuesday, and that's just when this happened to fall. So we're making this way shorter than usual. If this is your first time tuning in, we do encourage you to go back and and listen to past episodes to get a better sense of our usual format. And and you can go listen to those top episodes of the year. So I I personally listen to a lot of podcasts. Probably too many, actually. Um, For some reason, I'm, I'm just always hungry to have something piped into my ears whether I'm I'm doing chores, like doing the dishes or shoveling snow. I live in Minnesota, so there's a lot of snow to shovel. Anyway, one of my favorite podcast episodes of this last year um, was one I actually don't usually listen to, but it was recommended by a friend. It was from a cooking podcast called The Dave Chang Show. And on this one episode, this this famous chef, Dave Chang, interviews Michael Schur, the creator of the hit TV comedy The Good Place. It's a super fascinating interview because it's really about the question of how to be a good person and and how to live a good life. And more specifically, it's about how this TV writer ended up consulting with academic philosophers and hiring a couple of them as consultants to help him explore these questions for his show. I also happen to love this show, The Good Place. Um, So I ended up doing an episode for this podcast back in October where I talked with one of those academic philosophers who worked with Michael Schur about what it was like to go sit in the writer's room making a popular television show about their research. This would be the pedagogical equivalent to dying and going to heaven. That was Todd May, a Clemson University professor, and, and that's from the episode I did. I encourage you to go back and listen to that one too. Um, the title of that one, if you're looking for it, is Can a Sitcom Teach Philosophy? Meet a Scholar Advising the Good Place. It was a fun conversation, but... When my wife Leah heard this episode, she thought I'd kind of missed an opportunity. She's a journalist too, and an amazing writer and editor, and her take was that I kind of chose the wrong angle. 
yeah, it's it's kind of cool that this professor got to hang out with TV writers. Um, but she thought that my episode didn't deal with those deep and meaningful questions that make The Good Place and Michael Schur's story so interesting. In other words, what does moral philosophy tell us about how to live a better life? And now that I look at our most popular episodes list, I see even more clearly that Leah was right. So I'm using this episode to do what I maybe should have done the first time around and, and focus on that question of how to live a good life and, and maybe how to teach students to. And luckily, I have another interview in my files that speaks to this. It's with Pamela Hieronymi, a philosophy professor at UCLA. I ended up talking to her back in October, but the conversation happened too late to make it into that episode I did about The Good Place. It turns out this scholar also advised Michael Schur on that show. Well, she almost didn't talk to him um, because she initially kept this famous TV writer and creator waiting at a coffee shop um, when she forgot about their scheduled appointment. The absent-minded professor thing is completely uh, for real um, because I didn't put a, a alert in my calendar about it. And so I stood him up for like an hour. He was sitting at the coffee shop. He finally called me. I'm just two blocks away in front of my computer, you know, lost in thought. Um, so I rushed over and uh, joined him. And we talked for like three hours about his ideas and what he was interested in. And um, I gave him, you know, my thoughts on how the philosophy related. Okay, so what is it about this scholar's work that made her a natural fit for tackling questions about how to live a good life? Uh, there was a paper on my website, uh, an old paper on my website that used to be called um, <clears throat> Why You Can't Be Good by Trying. And so I think he was, I think he saw that. And, and I think that my guess is that's what made it me stand out to him. And that's a, I mean, that's a fun paper. The basic idea is that uh, Aristotle says that um, um, if you need to become a better person, you should do what a good person does. Um as a way of kind of habituating yourself into virtue. So the basic idea is fake it till you make it. Um, and, and that's good advice, but it's also mysterious why that's good advice. Because if you need to become a better person, it's because you're lacking good motives. Um, but motives aren't like muscles. It's not like just repetition will strengthen them or change them. You, it, it requires something like a transformation. And, um, and if practice makes perfect, it's not clear why by faking it, you wouldn't just become a great faker. Right. So, so there's gotta be something that happens to, to make you a better person. Um, and so I think he was interested in, in that. Um, and so Joe, I'm sorry. So what is the conclusion of your paper? Oh, uh, that, um, that there's something, um, there's something in addition to effort that's that's needed that you need a kind of receptivity or openness to um to change to to a change in 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 opinion a change in view a change in perspective um and that 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 doesn't come just by trying um so so there's actually a a a hazard that's that's similar to the problem of um um Sorry, I'm blanking. Uh, of insomnia, there's a there's a there's a hazard that's similar to the problem of insomnia, where the more effort you put, you know, you can just sort of entrench yourself in staying awake. And um, and similarly, if you're so invested in your effort that you aren't open to seeing new ways of looking at the world, you know, that could be a problem. I've definitely had insomnia, and I totally know that feeling of, of trying so hard to go to sleep and the effort 
absolutely keeping me awake instead. But I'd never thought about this idea transferring to, um, <laughs> to good living and how actually trying to be good could be defeating um, efforts to be a good person. This idea really underlines for me how hard it is to wrestle with how to be a well-balanced uh, good person. And why our listeners and, and readers who are in education probably find it so hard to teach their students how to pull that off. And even people like Pamela Hieronymi, who think about this for a living and, and consult thousands of years worth of thinking on the issue, they have trouble with it. So working on The Good Place, this TV comedy about some characters trying to essentially live good lives and get into heaven, gave this scholar a chance to deliver the, the kind of highlights reel of what she's learned and get it to a popular audience. You know, if you had to say, if there's one point that you hope people get out of watching some Good Place episodes, it, could you? is there one you could kind of isolate? Wow, that's a good and hard question. Um, I, I mean, I think it would be the, the same point that I was um, sort of dancing around earlier, that, um, that what matters is your relationships to other people, not... Um, not how many points you score at the end of the day. Um, and, and that what is going to motivate you through all of the difficulties of sort of struggling against a world that's, um, that's too hard to live in um, is your relationships with other people um, and, and the way in which people can support one another. And um, This time we're in, I mean, do you, do you feel like there is a need more than in the past of, of having a conversation, a public dialogue about um, moral philosophy? Um, I think there's a need for a public conversation about the topics treated in moral philosophy. Um, so, uh, um, so we don't all have to go read content. No, that would not be a good idea. Are we in a time that, 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 that seems like morality's challenged or is it always there? I mean, is there something about this, this moment to you with, with the kind of polarization that we're seeing in the media landscape and uh, that, that, that creates even more of a challenge for people to wrestle with these ideas? I think things have really, um, have really ramped up. Um, and, uh, and one set of thoughts I've been considering. So, so, um, so my research has been about the active-passive distinction, about the difference between what we do and what happens to us. One way of getting at that is to think about what we're responsible for, because typically we think that we're not responsible for things that just happen to us. We're responsible for the things we do. That gets me into, ish, into the issue of free will and moral responsibility. Um, and that gets me into the issue of what the philosophers call blame or um, reactions to moral criticism. And so I've been thinking a lot uh, sort of since the election about blame and how that's functioning for us. Um, and, you know, one thing that's happening is that, um, you know, there's a lot of the blame game going on where that's really just a kind of power struggle about who's going to change. Right. So, um, uh, so, I mean, the, the classic example is in uh, the, 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 for, for in my line of work is a lecture class that's going badly, right? So I've taught some bad lecture classes in, in my time. And when a lecture class is going badly, 
um, it's likely that the instructor is going to blame the students. The instructor is going to think the students aren't showing up on time, they're not coming prepared, they're not focusing, they're being distracted by their devices. You know, it's the students' fault. Um, meanwhile, mm-hmm. I certainly heard professors yeah, lament these things. Yeah. Meanwhile, the students are going to think this instructor is monotonous and they're too hard to understand and they aren't making this assessment. So the students are thinking it's the instructor's fault. What's happening is that we have something bad that's gone down. You know, there's some trouble, some mess. And this is kind of a fight about who has to clean it up, like who, who made the mess and who had to, has to clean it up. But that little blame game um, is kind of um, light years away from something else you might think of as a response to moral failing, which is the kind of um, wounding and affront and offense that somebody um, can experience when they've been seriously wronged or disrespected. Um, And so part of what's happening is uh, you end up with some people who have been seriously offended trying to register that um, that offense in the public space. And then, mm-hmm. and then it just gets taken up as part of a blame game. Mm-hmm. And that's a really bad disconnect that is, um, that's happening to us, it seems to me. Hmm. That's interesting. I, th- I think that's an interesting analysis for, um, and this feels like it's happening in big and small arguments, whether it's some argument about, I, I don't know. I just see, I feel like I see some version of that, whether it's on the neighborhood listserv or a Facebook group about my kid's school, or it seems like there's a lot of that disconnect these days. It doesn't have to be just national politics. Well, and, and the, I mean, you bring up the, these social networks or social, um, you know, online interactions that we have. That's a really new phenomena for mm-hmm. human beings. Um, yeah. and, um, and it's not at all clear to me that we know the, that we know how to cope with it yet. Um, they don't come with the right manual. Right. Maybe. Right. Well, um, yeah. Um, maybe there's a moral philosophy manual we need or exactly. Or a- <laughs> In other words, our social media and internet technologies have made it possible for voices that had never been heard to get heard but it turns out we haven't really figured out how to listen to each other on this kind of scale. And so there's a lot of bickering over the rules of debate or even about the kind of point system for who is right and who's wrong. And for this scholar and many others, this is not the most productive way to go about it. If I understand her argument, it's that people need the right attitude to live a good life, one where they're willing to be convinced that they're wrong sometimes and to be open maybe to rethinking their views based on their relationships with others in the neighborhoods and towns and countries and the wider world they live in. That might even be a kind of simple message, but apparently pretty hard. And it seems like a good one to end the year with. Have a wonderful holiday break, whatever you celebrate or or don't. We'll try to keep listening and, and keep learning here in 2020 and pass along the best ideas we come across. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. Each week, we bring you interviews and stories about how education is changing. And we do hope you'll subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And if you like the show, please tell a friend or colleague. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We're taking next week off to celebrate New Year's, but we'll be back with fresh episodes every Tuesday in 2020. Until then, thanks for listening.